Hello team and welcome to episode 421 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Sean Robinson. Sean is a volunteer firefighter, father and husband, and author of the book, Going Dry. In 2021, Sean found himself weighing 320 pounds, that's 145 kilos for those who operate in those metrics, and reached his personal rock bottom. He knew things needed to change and started by taking a break from drinking alcohol. Sean started journaling, kept a record of the challenge he faced and how he overcame the pressures of going back to old habits and routines. He ended up doing this for an entire year and wrote a book about his journey to going dry. Fast forward to the end of 2023 and Sean is still sober and has very much transformed who he is on both the inside and the outside and that's exactly what we discuss in today's episode. In this episode you can expect to learn what led Sean to realizing that his relationship with alcohol was not a healthy one and how you can spot this in yourself, how to deal with the social side of things especially when you've been drinking for a long time, along with what other things you can lean on whilst you're transitioning away from alcohol and how to stick with this long term. So without further ado, Sean Robinson. Sean Robinson, welcome to the show. How are you today? Good, Elliot. I'm, I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? I am very well. I'm excited to have you here. Looking forward to diving into our topic today. But before we do, can you give the listeners a bit of context about who you are and what it is that you do? Okay. Uh, well, I'm, my name's Sean. I'm from Ontario, Canada, and I'm 39 years old, got three kids, I'm married, and I worked construction or work construction electrician for about 18 years, but on a volunteer fire department for 20 years. And nice. just lit, grew up in a very, very masculine-based set of industries. And a lot of the the influence from those industries have, has definitely shaped me into not only who I am now, but who I've been able to kind of work on in the last couple of years. Amazing. And what led you down the path of such masculine industries in the first place? Was it something that you desired as a young boy, as a teenager, or is it something you just kind of fell into? Well, I fell into it, but more so from a family base like my dad's a mechanic he was on the volunteer fire department there was a different amount of my relatives that had different trade backgrounds and it was just almost an easy thing like after a college i took law and security thinking i might go that route i thought i might try full-time fire but just all the the extra education i was going to have to go to and then no guarantee of a job I, I used electrical as a bit of a background plan b if you will to develop into what i thought i wanted in those other careers Gotcha. And obviously your story involves a lot of personal development. It's not too much about that career, but I want to go back into those early stages and discuss the different stages in your journey, essentially going through the challenges with alcohol, then going into the weight loss side of things and coming out on the other side with your half marathon coming up this weekend, which we'll touch on in just a moment. But during those years, when you were working in those different industries, what was your relationship like with yourself and also with substances during that time? Well, to go kind of back to the beginning just a little bit, I knew how to mix good mixed drink for my parents when I was very young. About my brothers and I were eight years old-ish when we knew how to do this. And there was a very acceptable presence of alcohol and the different things from a very young age. So as I developed and as I grew, I brought those and my own habits, routines with it into my life. And it definitely didn't set me up, but kind of in the background there as well, I didn't have a good influence to, to, to work on fitness and 
and self-development and very toxic generational trauma uh, of sorts uh -huh. with uh, my upbringing and kind of the experiences I went through. So it gave me very little self-confidence. It definitely affected how much I tried for, and I played some sports and stuff, but it definitely held me back because I didn't feel like I belonged there. And I spent a lot of my life overweight because of it. It wasn't going for runs. It wasn't walking. The, the exercise portion wasn't instilled in me from my influences like maybe I would have liked to. So it wasn't until growing up and even in the last couple of years where I really got into that on my own to fix what I thought I was missing from a younger age. So between those habits with drinking and, and not having a good influence, being overweight, this was always somewhere that I just felt like I needed more help. But being from those masculine uh, industry, I didn't feel like I could ask for it. It was always something that, that was in the background, like, you need to fix this yourself, toughen up, be a man, fix it, find a way. And we just can't live like that, right? That, like, we're not expected to know everything. We don't know everything. So if we can't ask for help to learn uh, how to do things, where are we going to get it from? Yeah, absolutely. And talk to me a little bit more about the kind of traumatic childhood that you went through. Obviously, you mentioned the kind of heavily masculine and we can call it masculine or we can say like outdated masculinity in the sense of the type of advice you were given just to kind of man up work it out yourself uh, don't express x y or z feelings right just get on with it move on and all those different types of things which can be you know wildly traumatic in many many different ways but what are the other things that kind of led you to that path of the lack of confidence and everything along those lines I think just my father lost his father when he was very young and I never knew him. Uh -huh. So I think a lot of it was my dad just trying to figure it out as he went, as we all are, but he didn't have that good influence in his life to learn from. So really we grow up learning from whoever's close to us and we, we think it's true. We think that, you know, unless there's some, some real big T stuff, but really why would someone close to us teach us the wrong things, right? But that doesn't mean that they knew it. So I think there was a lot of what I grew up around and yelling and uh, no patience and, and their own version of their substance abuse and alcoholism. We see that as children and our kids watch that from us. They don't, we, maybe we don't realize they see it, but I picked up so much with the way the people around me were communicating with one another, how loving that relationship was, their habits and, you know, counting beer cans to get the deposit back to get more beer as a child mm -hmm. not because i was drinking it but because i was being helpful and like can that those kinds of things they're not necessarily well they're not productive but i was catching that whereas they didn't maybe realize that that was something that i was picking up on as as an important thing so as, as i grew up there was a lot of this attitude of you know masculinity transferring to me to say you know, I, I, I got the impression I couldn't talk about this thing. I couldn't because my dad was this tough guy. He was this mechanic. He was this volunteer firefighter that was like in these spaces and to impress him or to be that, that version to him, it's like, oh, I had to toughen up. I had to look, be like what I'm seeing from him. And it, it, a lot of it was something I created, but it was based on the things I was seeing. So I don't believe they ever told me don't talk to me and don't open up and things but like there was just a lot of not only with my family environment but getting into the trades myself and doing my own thing with the fire department and then working around some really tough 
individuals and attitudes, you couldn't talk about it. You were going to get made fun of if you were opening up, if you were at all sensitive or, or showing any sign that someone could jump on. So it was very much a hardened position before I decided to, to be something I wasn't used to being to make myself better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even if something isn't said, like they didn't directly maybe say, never talk about your feelings, you didn't pick that up from nowhere, right? It's mm. the environment, it's the suggestions, it's kind of the unspoken code versus it doesn't need to be verbally said out loud for us to interpret things in that way. So I think that's one of the big things as well. It's like sometimes it doesn't need to be explicitly said. Quite often it's just very, very obvious and it's just the way that everyone has always been. And you don't even need to go down the territory of being like, oh, maybe I'll try and then get that, you know, backlash and then be like, oh, well, that's why how I learned my lesson. You know, most of us who are maybe slightly emotionally intelligent kids be like, okay, it's probably not going to work out if I go ask. So I'm going to probably just keep this to myself anyway, going to stuff it down Ooh. because I kind of know what the outcome is going to be. And I would say 9.5 out of 10 times, we're probably right as well. So mm. I think that's a big thing as well. So talk to us about how that manifested as you grew up, you went through your teenage years into your twenties not having that role model, kind of having these, you know, I think you mentioned like big T's, but like little T's all adding up in terms of the trauma you're experiencing. What did that end up making your life look like? I think as I grew up, you know, I, I tried to build my own version of these habits and having a good selection and a good amount of alcohol items available in the fridge and just being a good host and you know, uh, if it was somebody's function, making sure you're you're celebrating this function by buying them a drink. Yeah. And, and the whole game that we play around alcohol and drinking and celebration and then just not, I, I really didn't think like I had an addiction to it, but my habits were very bad. Like they were toxic and it, like I'd go camping and I'd bring way too much to drink and it'd be like a mission to get through all of it. And there'd be times like, and COVID for everyone was bad, but the first year, like liquor stores and beer stores around me were all open, like they were accessible. So, and we're not allowed to go anywhere. And like, I, I was just easy, like, oh, I'll just get some drinks. And then we were doing Zoom drink parties and all these things with my social groups. And then I got to that point, I was 320 pounds at the end of 2020, completely miserable physically, mentally, and just needed something to change and the big T's, little T's growing up around that entire environment of having to maintain this alcohol lifestyle and having to do these things. I just thought I'd reached a point where this was who I was. Like I was in my twenties, I was growing into my thirties and I was this adult. And once you reach a certain point in your life, it's like you're now on that path to be who you're supposed to be. So to change that, and to go through the extra work and extra effort to be different than that person that you think you're maybe supposed to be, you have to do that on purpose and finding that purpose and then learning how to, what to do to go about that change. Like there's a lot of information there that's just not programmed into us, right? We have to look for that. That's it. You have to intentionally break away from that programming, which is almost harder than to continue to just comply and to kind of just let your life take you by whoever you think you are or whoever your experiences and your condition has shaped you to be is actually the easy route right and that's what makes the impressive things in life like being in shape being good with your finances being a good family member all these type of things fairly impressive when you think about it because you're actually working against the algorithm of 
what modern society is, it's much easier to be overweight. It's much easier to be in a financially poor position. It's much easier to spend your time watching Netflix or whatever than watching something on personal development, right? You have to work against the algorithm mm -hmm. because we have these conversations. We talk about self-development. This podcast is all about, you know, growth in every sense of the word. But when you actually step out your bubble, you actually realize the world around you is still like 80% doing those other types of things. And I think that obviously the idea of this podcast and these movements and work that you do is to encourage more people to come into this bubble to make it more of the 80% versus the 20. But I think that that's what we have to recognize is that you're going against the grain of kind of modern society and what your conditioning has built you into being. So I think that's a huge, huge step that you took. And what led you, like you said, you didn't realize that it was an addiction. What led you to realize that it was genuinely an alcohol addiction? I'm 5'10" and I reached that 320 pound mark and yep. like everything in the mirror, everything I could see, everything everyone around me could see and how I felt about what they were looking at was just, it was very heavy for me, almost pun intended there. And then the way I felt inside, the things that people can't see, right? The stress of how like showering with like not being able to reach everywhere, even just going to the bathroom and then the stress of like going walking up and down stairs and being out of, out of breath and how you feel in clothes and buying those extra, extra, extra large, whatever. And that mentally for me, it, it is awful, right? It's very stressful and society wants uh -huh. smaller people. So then we're already feeling bad about ourselves, but now we've got that pressure because we're thinking, worrying about whatever, what around us might be thinking that spotlight effect. For sure. So for me at that point where I reached what I call my rock bottom was like, I needed something to change and my dieting my eating habits were all terrible in line with the weight i had gained it was something that i could remove the alcohol was something i could remove that i, I didn't feel like i needed all the time but when i did have it i had it in abundance you know on weekends or at functions but there's the overeating there's the snacking there's all these things that were almost yeah uh, that came with drinking and then the late nights and the terrible sleeping and all of those things that were unhealthy uh -huh. surrounding with what I was doing with without drinking. So by starting with a dry January and then I wrote my book, Going Dry, Pat My Path to Overcoming Habitual Drinking, it started as a journal for me, which was never something I was gonna do in this like construction life with people bugging me about it. We can get to that, but this journal was a place where I, I just beat myself up and documented how I felt. But when I started that journey of losing the weight and trying the diet, I started writing these things down. I started what worked, what didn't work and committed to dry January. When I got through dry January, I just didn't feel like that was enough. And I started to open up to more personal development, self-help podcasts, books, really going through a, a transformation to become where I'm at now, but in that moment, someone that was open to the information I definitely wouldn't have received before. Mm. And what do you think made it stick? Do you think it was like, well, there's no lower I can go here? Because I think a lot of people have these moments where they know they're in a bad position, but it takes a certain kind of tipping point to turn it around. Was there a moment for you where you just, I don't know, looked in the mirror and it was just all too much and you're like, hey, this is the choice I make. It lines up with this dry January. Was there kind of an immediate decision or this been kind of been building to this moment and it was just uh, an accumulation of all of those feelings? Uh, it was definitely an accumulation, but that journal that I started at the end of 2020, like this was before I had committed to dry January and this was not a place I was nice to myself in. 
Like it was, there was a lot of confusion and I share a lot of this in the opening of my book because that was, uh -huh. that was my starting point. But there was things I'd say in there. Like I felt like I, I need, I know what I need to do. I just need to do it, which is a statement that I think is wrong because most times we don't know what we need to do. We think we do. Well, we would be doing it, right? Oh, right. Exactly. So I was saying those kinds of things and I, I felt like I, I should just know automatically because I'm 37 at the time, 36, I should just know how to do this. But we don't, and I didn't. So when I decided in that moment, that journal kind of led me to a, a, that tipping point where it was like, okay, you've never been 320 pounds before. You feel terrible. You excuse it all the time. You're making up excuses. You're not a victim here. Like you have control of this. So what I didn't know in that moment, because I like I wasn't reaching out for help because I felt like I had to fix this on my own. I felt like like I couldn't ask for help, and it's terrible. It's wrong, but. It's just, I think it's just almost normal. We just close up and we, we have the pride and we're not going to be vulnerable and all those things. Uh -huh. But that's something you grow into. And in that moment when I wasn't doing this thing anymore, it was because of how I felt in that moment. But sorry, I wasn't reading the books and doing the things, but I started small. So the biggest thing with anything, right, is start small and work your way up. Well, by committing to dry January the way that I did, and taking it, you know, day, week at a time, and then getting to the end of January and thinking, well, I don't feel like I'm done now. Like I want to, I want to do February. It's a short month. We'll commit to now 60 days. So my 30 days became nearly 60. And in that moment I had opened up to podcasts. I listened to, you know, some Tony Robbins and Lewis Howes and Ed Milet's and all of these things that I started to learn about that I never knew about before. And what really got me into it was because there's so many celebrities, there's Kobe Bryant, there's Terry Crews, there's all these actors and athletes that I felt like I knew, at least knew enough to relate a bit to where they were coming from, because you don't hear a lot of this side of these people. You see them performing and yeah, whatever, but then to hear like they have these different mental health things, you're like, okay, well, you know, maybe it's normal that I have this stuff too. So then I was able to open up to listening to some Andrew Huberman and the doctors and the professionals. So I think small steps and opening up to who I thought was a better influence and then looking for the professional was the best thing for me to stick to this plan in the beginning. Yeah, I love that. And I think that anyone who's on a healing journey or a journey of self-development, my advice to them is just go down the path that is leading you from curiosity. Like whatever seems appealing to you. If someone says Andrew Huberman is the place to go, you might get overwhelmed by the scientific talk and it might turn you in the opposite direction. But if you do go for like something like a little bit more entry level, like Lewis House, for example, or even just something that's on your favorite celebrity and you didn't know there was a side of them, like you said, there was a dark side that they never spoke about, like start there and start listening and then just travel down that road of curiosity and you'd be amazed at where it eventually leads you. And obviously it led you to a kind of a full on transformation alongside a lot of other different things as well. And I want to talk about the potential struggles along that path as well. A big thing that I find a lot of people struggle with when they give up alcohol is the social pressure. You mentioned that a lot of your identity was kind of tied up to being the guy who brings the drinks, who gives the person the drink to congratulate them, who's got the beers on the way to the camping trip. How did you start to create this new identity that Sean wasn't the guy who brought the alcohol, but Sean was the guy who is just Sean? you know, and had to rely now on his personality 
and who he was as an individual versus, you know, the guy who's bringing all the drinks. Well, that was a huge barrier for me, for sure. Because my family with the upbringing, like I have two younger brothers, we had the same upbringing. There was habits and routines that they had. And then there was, you know, a bunch of my friends, construction, like it's almost a staple that you have to be into some sort of substance or alcohol just to work construction. And while that's not a healthy and it's not good to think about, but there's so much of that abuse in that kind industry. Kind of the reality, right? Yeah. And like the fire department, they were never related. And, you know, it, because it was volunteer, it's on call. So if you were drinking or doing something, you just don't go. But like we were like family, a lot of my friends that were there. So if we weren't on call, those were the people I was spending time with. So like to just not be this person anymore that I was, yeah, it was a huge barrier because everyone expected that same version. It was like, once I got through dry January, which, which people were receptive to, it was like, oh, you made it cool. Like, let's have a drink. And like, it took convincing because like, I was still trying to figure this out too. Right. I was just getting into some of the content that was going to give me some tools. But in that first month, it was like, I just need to get through this month. Yeah. And then I had to try and convince the people around me that no, I'm good. And one of the biggest barriers, one of my friends was getting married uh, that year. And I was in his wedding and we had all these wedding functions, bachelor parties and such. And I had committed, once I got through my February, I committed to that hundred day mark, which was right around when the wedding stuff started. And I thought like never in my life since I was like 15, 16, have I gone this kind of duration, not drinking. So I thought like, why don't I commit to the year? How cool would it be if I could do this for a year? And then this wedding thing came in and every function my buddy was like, oh, you, yeah, well, you'd better fucking drink at my wedding. Every function, you'd better be this way at my wedding. And his wedding was like September, October. So I was committing to the year at that point and then had this hanging over me every time I saw him, every time that we went to a function. And I'm just trying to figure this out. I'm just trying to determine where I'm headed with this development. I'm feeling great. I'm more patient with my three young kids like I'm a better father I'm a better friend I'm doing Mm -hmm. all these things and I'm still expected to be drunk at this guy's wedding there was so much anxiety and so much pressure to maintain that person that I was trying to get away from and I just had to stick to my boundaries I just had to stick to the plan and you know what he eventually came around but there was a lot of anxiety in that year and and this is all in my book because this was important to my development to where I gave myself permission to be different it was such a huge part of, and a huge barrier. How did you give yourself permission to be different? How did you follow through on that with conviction? I don't know where I came from. Like right in the beginning, as I was journaling, I gave myself rules. I set myself some boundaries and in the experience over the years, like not everybody around me drank all the time. Right. But there was some people that if they weren't drinking at a function, they'd have their bottle of water, they'd be sit in the corner or, you know, just kind of be there for the sake of being there. But you're feeling as the one participating that there's judgment, there's these things. So, yeah, you know, one of my rules was basically, I, I just wanted to, I didn't want to be that person. I wanted to play the game without playing the game. So I had a Yeti coffee mug and I'd pour whatever I wanted in there and, you know, just look like I was playing the game. Another rule I set for myself was to have fun, like not go to things, you know, make sure that you participate because I didn't want to hermit because that wouldn't help me get over the other things. Totally. So setting those rules for myself, having a bit of structure, and I'd learn much more later about how important that is for us to do, really gave me a backbone in those moments when the pressure came on 
and availability and, and all those things. So when I got to not halfway through the year, but kind of to a point where the wedding was over, September, October, I had the most confidence and I didn't feel drawn to it at all. Like everyone around me knew what I was doing. I didn't have an issue saying, no, thank you. Even just having that that bottle of water or something at a function, I just felt comfortable with the decisions I had made. And at that moment, it was kind of in line. A friend asked me how things are going. And, and I was like, oh shit, I could write a book. Nice. The expression was not because that was my intention. This was my journal. This was a place for me to reflect on how I felt. And when that moment happened about October, I was like, this is what I needed when I started. This is what I needed to give myself that permission to change, to give myself structure. I needed somebody else's version of this that I could relate to versus the Kobe Bryant's or the Andrew Huberman's, which mm. wasn't the level I was at. It was like, give me that real trenches level perspective of how someone got through this stuff and once I had that conversation, it was like, you know what? I needed this. And my mission at that point was to do whatever I could to help my former self. It was a point where I wanted to work on putting that out there. And I think it's so important because realistically, it's a challenge that so many different people face, but they don't even realize they're facing. And do you think that the challenge is that it's so disguised, very, very easily disguised within our daily life, all of these events that we go to, that none of us really recognize that it's a problem. It's the same in the UK where I'm from. You know, it's so normal for people to go out to drinks to the pub after work. You walk through London, especially in the more businessy areas, it won't surprise you to see hundreds of people gathered outside pubs drinking. It's a super normal part of the culture. And same goes for any type of wedding. I'm sure that's kind of more international, but sure. just about everywhere you go, someone is offering you a drink and you're almost considered the unusual one if you're not drinking. That's the crazy oh, yeah. part about alcohol. You know, when it comes to drugs, depending on what circle that you're in, it's not so much like that. There isn't really any other thing, maybe aside from food, that's another one that where people will start to look if you're the one ordering that quote unquote healthier meal compared to someone else. But alcohol is just one of those things where you're considered the unusual one. So do you think it's a challenge because it's just so well disguised in our lives that we don't even see it as something that could even be a problem because everyone else is doing it? It definitely is. And and it's often paired with food. Like you mentioned food, like they're, they're often together. And, and I think a lot of the traditions... Like you've got family traditions, you've got, you know, function traditions, all these traditions are centered around it. And I've been on a few podcasts actually from the London area and uh, Australia, Africa, and it is amazing how much this translates. And, and I didn't realize that yeah. it was that common. So a lot of these, the expectation to drink is, is like, it's marketed that way, right? Like all the advertising, it's this great time at the beach or the concert or the yeah. function and everybody's having a great time. And and it is such a social staple that it's easy to just do that because we already know how to do that. It's like the other comment I made about realizing you have to make that change is like, we don't even think about it, that it's, it is that bad or that we need to change it because it's just what uh -huh. everybody's doing. If it's a tradition or if it's something like, let's, let's say drugs for a second, like you're right. It depends on your circle, but are you just going to do it because it's a tradition with somebody, right? It's yeah. Alcohol is such a funny thing because if you decide you don't want it anymore, or if you're not eating sugar and it's not because of a medical thing, you have to explain it, right? It's yep. like you have to explain why you're not doing that anymore. And for me, like I wasn't doing it because I felt like there was a problem. Like there was probably moments for sure, 
but it wasn't because I was mandated or because I had to do it. So I did it from a lifestyle and a health standpoint at first because of where I felt I was with my weight and such. So it was almost harder for me and we don't need to convince the people around us, but in order for my barriers or my boundaries to be set and for people around me to be supportive, I had to establish that. And it almost would have been easier. And I mean this the most respect to people going through their own recovery and addiction. I would have almost been easier if I had been mandated to make that change because people would have felt awkward about it and left me alone. They would yeah. have talked about it. It would have been easier for, it would have been awkward still for me in that moment, but like I wouldn't have gotten all the pressure and that, oh, you, you made it a month or you're a hundred days now, or you better drink at my wedding. It's like, and then the way it translates to anything, like what if it's not drinking, right? What if it's something else, a drug, or what if it's a, that meal that you're having and someone's pushing dessert on you and you're doing everything you can not to have that because you're feeling good with your health and you, you just don't want that in your life, but you're feeling bad because someone's trying to host, trying to push, like replace the yeah, alcohol yeah. with anything that you're not wanting in your life. And it's almost the same tools that you need to get through that moment. I, at least I found with everything else I was working on. For sure. And it blows my mind to think that we're in a world where you literally have to take it to the point of being like medically in a poor position where it's almost a necessity to put your life in a better place. Like it's kind of getting to a position where it's going to be life or death if you don't turn it around for people to genuinely accept the choice or the decision that you want to make in regards to food and alcohol. I think if anyone's listening who's ever been the person in that situation who's placed the social pressure, maybe they've grown out of it or maybe they're even still doing it. I think it's just worth reflecting for a second and trying to break the cycle, which just seems so ridiculous when you say it out loud but we've all been there and we've all been in those situations where it's like ah you're not part of the crew if you do x or you know i have my clients telling me all this this all the time when it comes to social scenarios is that ah you've been dieting forever when are you ever going to finish and making them feel like they're the old ones out and i'm like these people are just looking to improve the quality of their life like you said i feel great in september i don't want to get drunk at your party because of as much as i appreciate you as a friend like i feel good and that's way more important than, you know, me having to show you that. And it's for what? That's the thing as well. And I think that that's when we realize that a lot of our friendships aren't really that held together. I was speaking to another guest a couple of weeks ago and he was like, a lot of the friends that I thought I had, once we took the alcohol away, those friendships weren't so strong anymore. And I think you start to really see those things once you start to take away like this clutch that's kind of holding you guys together. Oh yeah, definitely. And then I think to hear that statement, people get worried because they're like, oh, if I change, I'm going to lose my friends. I don't think it's that way at all. Like you will grow apart from some people and you'll go for closer sure. to other people. Absolutely. And, and then these things will kind of, like for me, they kind of came naturally. It was like, I was still trying to go to things and then participate, not drinking, but you know, being in the room. And there was other things I just, okay, well, I, I did that already. I don't need to go this time. And when that item, alcohol in, in my case, is the, the thing that's holding the relationship together and you remove that, not that we're not friends anymore, but we just don't do the same things anymore. If there's a group going to a baseball game or, you know, football or whatever, it's like we can do that and that, that's because there's something else holding that thing together. But to just go yeah. and hang out and drink, I'm not there right now. So... This was never a place for me to judge anyone else. This was my own journey and my own decisions. So I didn't want to put that on people that I can't be your friend anymore because I'm doing this thing because it was never that way at all. It was just, yes, you will grow apart 
from some people and you'll grow closer to other people. Like I've made different friends. I've put myself in other situations where they're not alcohol based and then I'm meeting, meeting people even in this environment, like even for you and I to have this conversation, like I would have never been here with that old life. So there's definitely room. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's one of those things that when you let go of something that maybe has seemed so comfortable and so habitual, you don't realize that you're just letting go of that. It's not just this enormous loss. It's like, well, that leaves space to fill it with something that actually suits where you're at within your life right now because of, like we said earlier, in terms of the identity piece, in terms of the conditioning, it's like that was kind of in a way delivered and given to you based on your circumstances and your environments. But then, like you mentioned, once you tap into that, realization that oh, well, actually I steer the ship of this boat you know it's not <laughs> driving me along I actually have my hands on the wheel and I just need to choose the direction I want to go in all of a sudden you can go to the destination you can start to fill up your time your space your energy with things that genuinely suit you at this moment in your life and I think that's a beautiful statement as well as to not recognize that you're just letting go and yeah you might be letting go and it might be scary but you have a lot of space to fill in with a lot of beautiful things will probably serve you better as well and one thing that I found when I was looking at the reviews of your book on Amazon is someone mentioned that you missed out or you brushed over in your book the idea behind like when you went through that situation you didn't speak about the coping mechanisms that you used to get through this stage, right? Someone mentioned that, you know, they would have liked to hear what practical strategies you applied. Maybe, you know, on those days where you felt like you needed a drink, what did you do instead, etc. So I'd love to answer that person's questions of like, you know, on those moments where it felt challenging, where did you direct your energy instead of leaning towards what was very normal for you? Yeah, that's definitely something I've addressed since then. I mean, when we do those things and you get it to print and you send it out and you see the review or you hear the feedback, you're like, oh yeah, that could have been in there a little more. <laughs> um, I definitely have some of that in there, but it depended on the moment, right? Like if it was somewhere yeah. where, and this translates better to where I was more present with my kids even, because there'd be functions where I'd be more worried about having drinks with the guys and like, say it's a family function and my wife's talking to the, that she's dealing with the kids or talking to the girls or whatever. I would just go play with the kids a little more or be more interested in, in what my, my kids are doing or helping my wife with the kids than being over in the corner talking to the guys or yeah. another situation where maybe there's something else going on. And I don't mean going to play with their pets, but there's enough distractions usually where, you know, we can be in the moment, we could be in the room, we can communicate. And the things that I did were just change the subject or talk about different things. Or like I said, with that coffee cup, the, just having that a drink in my hand, if it was water or sparkling water or whatever I put in there, the mechanism of having that, sipping on it, everyone else, and just being in the room. One of the mechanisms, like I was saying, not avoiding these functions just by going and, and establishing that, you know, I just don't want to drink or having something else. It was difficult in the beginning, like I said, about making people or convincing people that I meant it this time or that this was just who I am now. Yeah. But definitely people expected it. And then like even my own brother was asking me because I turned a beer down, like if I got my coin yet, because he was upset that I turned it down. Like even he later was supportive and, and had some non-alcoholic options or had some things that way if I came over, there was something there. So to answer your question, there was definitely a few things that I tried that worked and it was just good to see the support come back around. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things as well. And I say this to my clients all the time as well. It's like, there will be people who completely understand and they will be supportive from day one. 
and then there'll be other people and sometimes they're the closest people to you who just will either not get it or they'll choose not to get it. I always put the responsibility in my client's hands. I say, communicate why this is important to you, why this time is different and what you're committing in terms of time, energy, money, whatever it might be. And then outside of that, if you've communicated the importance of this to the person that cares, the rest is on them. And you just have to like create the shield and this bubble around you and lean on the people who are genuinely there to support you. Because if outside of that, if you've communicated and they're still not understanding, that's a choice, yeah. right? If you don't say anything at all, they might just be like, well, you know, Sean was the guy who always used to drink. Why is he not drinking? That is confusing. But if you've told them that, you know, this is not who I am anymore and I'm transforming and I'm changing, then, you know, that really, really puts it back on them as well. So I'm glad we've made that statement. And how did this change your relationship with your wife? And obviously you went through your rock bottom moment with her, I should imagine. Now you're on the other side, you're about to run a half marathon, you're hundred pounds down. How has that changed your relationship with uh, the woman you were with during that time of despair? It's changed immensely. There was moments because I was becoming this person that I didn't like growing up. My parents are still around and we know um, that relationship. There was times where she'd see my dad and me and it would it would start a fight when she'd bring it up because my dad's not that way anymore. But like there was those moments so she knows there was a history. And there'd be moments that were like we go to a function and with our three young kids like she didn't drink during her pregnancy of course and she didn't drink during breastfeeding and there was Mm -hmm. and then after that like she just didn't really want to much anymore so that gave me a designated driver all the time so there was a lot of functions we'd go to and it was like assumed that i was going to have this designated driver so there'd be times she'd be tired want to go home the babysitter's there whatever and we would fight because like I'd try and sneak an extra drink or two or three and get to stay longer. We're having a good time. Uh, So a lot of, lot of tense moments. It was getting to a point and I found this out later that we were going to have a really serious conversation soon. She was trying to figure out how to bring it to me and how to talk about it because she didn't know how receptive I was going to be. But if I didn't decide to make some changes in my life when I did, then that moment you asked me about earlier about you know what was the final moment it was probably coming based on on what i learned later yeah since then all this development it's helped our relationship immensely i've done a complete transformation i'm more positive i'm not looking for negative all the time and like our kids my middle child he's got some anxieties and some things we're working through with him but we started this thing at dinner and it was in john gordon's book uh, the energy bus about your favorite moment or your favorite golf shot So we took this home and I kind of said, like, let's choose one favorite thing. We do this at dinner. And the one thing that made you smile today that, and and we we go around the table and everybody says one in the beginning, it was difficult. Like it was hard because the boy, Uh, my boys, I have two boys and a young daughter. They were not receptive to it at all. And I said, just anything. If it makes you smile, if it made you laugh, if it was a funny joke, once we got that out of them and we do this every day. And he looks forward to it probably more than anybody. And it doesn't matter if we have 20, 30 people over for a barbecue and he's turning eight. He wants everybody to say it. It's dinner time. It's time for favorite things. <laughs> and I would have never brought those moments to our family if I didn't go on this journey. So that is as a major example, like those are the kinds of things that I'm bringing into my, my relationship with my wife and with, with my family that, that have, have translated in ways I could have never predicted. And there's still things we're working on. Nobody's perfect, but it's definitely a lot better. And his anxieties and even my other two kids, like it's such a strong relationship now that 
probably would have had headed right down to where I was as a child and upset to all the yelling and the, the alcohol and all the things that, that was around me. It, and it's definitely not there. Yeah, that's awesome. It's really awesome to see you kind of breaking that generational cycle and starting a new one, essentially. Did you go down the route of any talk-based therapy, anything more from a mindset and mental perspective during your journey? Or was it purely the removal of alcohol, the getting into the health and fitness, self-development side of things? Well, for a while, I would say that I didn't, but my form of therapy came in a bit of a different way. And it kind of dawned on me lately that this was what I was doing. So my workplace, I have about a 45 minute to an hour commute each way. And in the beginning of this journey, I decided that I wanted to make better use of that time. I got sick and tired of the same musical playlist and I was never a podcast guy because I felt like it just wasn't for me because it wasn't what my influences and circles were into. So when I started to open up and I started listening to podcasts, I started doing these things. I thought there's a lot better use of my time driving to and from work. So my form of therapy, I didn't reach out to a therapist. I still want to do that because I I definitely have things that I want to talk about, but My form of therapy came in the form of listening to self-help podcasts, listening to development podcasts, getting an Audible account and listening to, I've listened to over 150 books now, just driving to and from work and hundreds of hours of podcasts. And all of that has been my form of therapy, whereas I didn't open up to somebody. And the other form of therapy was deciding to put out this book and be vulnerable for people and be true to myself. And then like, I've been on so many podcasts now talking about the different portions of this journey and just sharing it because I know my former self still needs to hear this message. Yeah. And these podcasts, these common type of conversations can be therapy in themselves. Right. And that book, like you said, was just your journal entries. And I can imagine the process of writing that was extremely cathartic, retelling your stories, reminding yourself where you were, where you are now comparatively as well. So It definitely makes sense that that kind of replaced therapy initially. And it's great to see how much progress you've been able to make without having to really look outside of yourself. And I think that that might be very encouraging for people. I know that I'm a big advocate of therapy and life coaching and all these different types of things. However, I think there's a lot of people who aren't ready for that. And I certainly wasn't when I started my journey either. So it's nice to know that you can just go down the route of, you know, going down the different path of indulging in self-improvement and development type of books and podcasts, working on your health and your well-being and making a damn lot of progress like that. Like I said, therapy is still potentially on the agenda, but it's also nice to see how far you can travel without having to go to a therapist, which I think is pretty damn amazing. Yeah, it's it. I all my social stuff, my Instagram and Facebook and all the places that I'm trying to, to continue putting this message out, there's so many things that I had a hard time getting started So a lot of my baseline is that getting started. It's showing how breaking down some big goal into the smallest of parts. And James Clear in Atomic Habits has laid this out. It's if we can find a way to get started in the smallest way, my thing is just put your shoes on, right? We're not talking about that run. We're not talking about even if it's just your mental shoes, we're just worry about that first step or before that first step, just so that you can kind of build from it right? Get your shoes on or put your mental shoes on. And then what's next? Okay. Well, we're going to work to that. And then we're going to work to that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're like myself right now, three years later, and I'm going to run a half marathons this weekend. It's never something that I would have done. And it's not the first step, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Talk to us a little bit more about that as well. Of course, you went dry and obviously ended up making a lot of good choices as well. And along the course of that process, you've ended up dropping a hundred pounds. And for my UK listeners, it's around like 40 kilos or so, which is no joke whatsoever. Just go into the gym and try and pick up a 40 kilo dumbbell and you'll find out how much weight that actually is. So talk to us a little bit more about the weight loss side of things and how that has probably brought about a new identity in yourself as well. Like you said, you were very conscious of buying those double XL shirts, what other people were thinking of you when you were walking around compared to now where I'm sure that those thoughts, well, maybe they do cross your mind, but I'm sure they don't nearly as much as they used to. No, yeah, they definitely don't as much as they used to, but it was because I was so self-conscious and because I wasn't doing those things and overweight, like it was a lot of pressure to just go to the gym and know what to do. So cardio, I know what they say about, you know, the goods and bads of, of only cardio, but what we need to realize and what I needed to realize is it's something, right? Yeah. I wasn't doing anything at the time. So I started going for walks and just trying to do that. I kind of back it up a bit. I kind of felt like I wasn't going to see results if I wasn't, you know, doing that, that hundred pound lift or 300 pound lift or marathon. Like I felt like, because I didn't know any better, if the only way I was going to see anything quickly was to do maximum reps and it's, it's a wrong way to think about it, right? Just go for a walk. Yeah. And I started just by going for walks. I started, you know, the elliptical. So my knees weren't getting, you know, as much impact and just going for that walk, but doing it daily or doing it, you know, you know on a consistent basis. And all of a sudden that walk became a bit of, like I was jogging and, and then I, I thought I needed a challenge. I've always been one to have a better I think naturally we work towards things better when we have our goals. So I agree. Yeah. I found there was going to be a five kilometer race nearby last spring and it was never something I did before. Right. I'm feeling self-conscious the confidence is low, all those things. But like I've been running for the last year and I was like, you know, I'm going to challenge myself to this 5k. It's not very long. I should be able to do it. And it'll be a real test because I'm going to be around all these people at all the spotlight effect I felt because they're all judging me because they know I've, I've never ran before and I don't belong here and all of the anxieties I felt in that moment. So I signed up for that race and then it felt so good. I ran the whole thing. It was a good, I'd never done one before. So just finishing it in a reasonable time was huge. And then I had another 5k race. It was for a mental health charity and it was a really cool thing because it, it fell in line with, with what I was trying to do as far as, you know, these goals and this mission and running that one was, it was another feel good moment. So I was like, this is the spring getting into the summer here and I need another goal, but I can't do it in July or August. The, the heat and the humidity here is just, it's not comfortable. I don't want to like sign up for something that I'm going to not be able to at least have a good go at because of those things. So October 1st, I found nearby half an hour from me, there's this marathon, half marathon. And I'm like, you know what? I can work on that this summer. I was getting up earlier every day, doing my runs when it's cooler out and decided that was going to be my next goal. So I'm coming up on that this weekend and just that half marathon and, and being to prepare for it and run. Like it's been such a cool experience and I'm going to give it a good go. And worst case, if I can't, you know, I can walk it, right? I can finish walking it. Like I'll finish it. It just may be that I have to walk part of it and that's okay too, right? We just do what we can. That's it. And I love that idea that you didn't feel like you needed to be the best at things. I think that's a big issue with people getting into things when they're a lot older. When we're children, we're happy to start anything and 
also accept the level that where we're at. Like if I jump on a skateboard at eight years old, I'm not frustrated that I can't, you know, hop off the curb or whatever that might be. I'm just happy to be on the skateboard and I understand that if I fall down, I need to get back up again and I need to just keep going. Whereas when we get to an adult, it's like we almost expect ourselves to be competent immediately. Like we have to be good at this thing and not recognizing that obviously just like when we were a kid, it takes a lot of time and effort and we don't want that fear of, like you said, not fitting in or just feeling a little bit embarrassed and feeling incompetent because of in many areas in our life, we only kind of start doing those things that we're competent at when we're adults and we kind of stay stuck in this lane of okay i'm only going to do the things i'm good at and they're going to try the things that i'm not but you've gone into a realm and a world that you never probably thought you were going to started with that 5k and now you're going to be entering the half marathon and you know now i'm sure you see 5ks advertised and you would be like well i could sign up and do one of those tomorrow yeah compared to before when that was a big stretch right yeah and that's it's kind of a good way to think about the growth that i've been able to do with you know being uncomfortable walking because of the weight and then just over time not feeling the pressure but staying on my plan and having these small goals along the way it's like that marathon or half marathon can be possible and maybe the marathon's my next step for next year yeah. like it's just taking one step at a time breaking it down smaller like the way we can do it with anything and i started doing workshops at the my local mental health unit and I, i'm hosting these things and and that's my focus is just breaking down our excuses so that we think about having you know different uh, we get rid of our excuses and and challenge ourselves to you know, actually do these things but then also yeah to break down those goals into small achievable sections and and just kind of working through it yeah something you put on your instagram is old thoughts to leave behind which i really like and i don't know if this was included in that section but one thing you said is that no one's coming to save you you need to save yourself and i really like that one what did you mean exactly by that yeah i think i'm up to 13 or 14 of those old thoughts they're just a nice way to say they're excuses right so in that one it's like myself i learned later that I was responsible, right? We are responsible to a certain point, like the way that my influences led me to where I was and not knowing certain things. I didn't have like my family, they're not runners. And while they may have been athletic in, in high school, I didn't see it. When I did, it was in a beer league, hockey or baseball. So like it was almost different intentions. So not uh -huh. having that influence, needing to create it myself, but like no matter what, we're dealing with if it's weight loss if it's diet if it's fitness if it's you know you want to upgrade your career so you want to read more books you want to take more courses nobody's going to do that for you right okay. if you want something figure out what has to happen to get there and you have to be responsible for yourself nobody's coming there's no magic wand there's no fairy there's none of these things it's like you have to do this you don't have to do it by yourself. It's important to have coaches and mentors and all these things and a team. Maybe you need to have friends that are going to do the same thing and, and you challenge each other. All of those things are important, but you have to be the one to make the move. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I love that quote because it realistically encapsulates your story very nicely as well. It's like all of the things that you're doing now, every step that you've taken was there for you, but it wasn't going to come and tap on your shoulder you were the one who had to get the momentum going. You had to create enough inertia to start pushing it forward so you could bring more of those things into your life. And I don't know if you found this was the case as well, but once you started doing one thing, 
it was like it opened one door and then it opened another and it opened another and you're like oh, okay this is the path and it's like these gentle nudges from life but initially to get those nudges you have to open your eyes to see them and you have to kind of be saying i'm headed in this direction i don't know what paths necessarily i'm going to take but i'm going to be open for my intuition to guide me and these little helping hands along the way but you have to start it ultimately you have to like you said take that responsibility you have to be extremely accountable to yourself otherwise it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it does, it compounds. When this started for me, like it started with the commitment to not drink. But as I learned about, you know, changing habits and the hundred days to change a lifestyle versus just working on a habit or whatever. So I started with brushing my teeth, right? It was something I didn't do as much as I should have. Didn't feel great about it, but it was an easy first thing to try some of this out. So I had my calendar, which I still do. I, and I wrote... Every morning I'd brush my teeth was a check mark. Every evening was a check mark. And I would just wa- see all those check marks come up. And then once I got to, and there was other things in the meantime, but for this example, once I got to the hundred days, I was like, okay, well, awesome. I made it every single day. Like if I got into bed and hadn't done it yet, I would get out of bed and go and do it. Whereas in the past, I just, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. And so once I got to that hundred days, it was like, okay, well, I'm going to challenge myself now and I'm going to not going to track it. I'm not going to check mark anymore just to see how this goes and like it had become something that I just did now like and that was the first thing I did so seeing how that 100 day mark worked and documenting on the calendar and tracking it every day and all the consistency and and all those things like my calendar at that time and then now like it had circles and check marks and squares and squiggles and numbers and all these code things that nobody knew what they were but me and everything was, you know, I'm drinking more water, I'm brushing my teeth, I'm not drinking, I'm exercising, I'm whatever. Even if it's just putting my shoes on, it's just whatever it was I was working through for that term, that 100-day period, was on the calendar. And because I didn't write it out, nobody knew what these were. I didn't have to explain to anybody if they saw it. I didn't have to put myself in a position where I had to talk to somebody if I wasn't prepared to. So... Like that documenting is very important. And the hundred day mark, when I got to a hundred days not drinking, it wasn't enough. And I'm still not drinking and I'm, I'm much happier doing it that way. But for that moment, I didn't think a hundred days was enough. And that's where I decided to go that full year for the sake of you know the journaling and the book. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I feel like once you've done that hundred days, you've given yourself enough evidence that you can do it. And you've given yourself enough time to show the rewards and the results from that as well and i think that's the biggest challenge i have with people when they start a specific journey they give it two weeks three weeks maybe maximum a month and they haven't had enough of that reward or enough of that break away from that habit to really experience what life on the other side can look like but when you get to like that 100 day mark you're in a very good position to be like well do i really want to go back to this like you're not pulled by the previous feedback loops and the cycles that you were trapped in so you have an ability to actually say well from a very neutral perspective and with a lot of evidence that i can do this which direction do i now want to go in so i think that's a really good takeaway as well but sean this has been an awesome conversation i've got a couple of final questions the first is what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do i want to be a better version of myself i want to continue this development I want to set my kids up and my wife, my family up for, and the people around me. I want, I want the people around me to, if they feel influenced by it, if they have questions, just, just do what they can or remove what's in their life to be better for themselves. 
and impact on the world. It's just my mission is to bring anybody on this journey with me that wants to make that change, that wants that little bit of help, that little bit of push that I might be able to give to bring them along here with me. Love it. And where's the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing? I'm on, I think, most of the social platforms, but I think the best place to go is my website. It's seanrobinson.ca. And I've got a new blog post I've just started this last week. It's going to talk about all this this content. I'm going to put them out as much as I can. I'm on you know, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, posting videos all the time. You can sign up for my weekly newsletter. I put a video. I've got some of the inspirational stuff I, I build. There was the excuse tracker and all this stuff's really based from my website. Awesome. I'll make sure as much of that as possible is in the show notes below. But Sean, thank you so much for your time today. It's a truly inspirational story and one I think people are going to take a lot away from and be able to apply to their journeys as well. So thank you. And yeah, I appreciate you sharing it. Yeah, thanks, Elliot. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.